if you're hiking in the mountains with a friend and you get to the top of a, a beautiful mountain, are you really bothered about having an NFT or getting into the meta universe then? Probably not. But if you're using something like Strava to travel your journey and use that information later to learn something, or maybe you need GPS or you want to take an amazing video and edit that, then that technology is useful. So I think it's when you use it and use, in a sense, giving the technology to people to change the experiences they want and put it into their terms, I think is what it's about. It's giving people control and access. You are listening to One More Question a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing the best conversations we have had with significant builders, experts, and communicators. The people we encounter and work with as we go about helping you build brands people care about. Season four is based on our exploration of Web3, NFTs, and all things Metaverse. We're seeing an explosion of creativity and brands popping up all over this new space. Yet the rules seem to be different, and experimentation is not only expected, but welcome. Follow our conversations with the designers, the builders, and the visionaries shaping Web3 and the Metaverse. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Simon Dixon. Simon is the co-founder of Dixon Baxi, an international branding agency. As a designer, creative director, and strategic thinker, Simon has explored where creativity, design, and technology overlap, and he's been doing it for well over two and a half decades. At Dixon Baxi, be brave is their defining spirit. They're driven by the enduring power of creativity, and they're designing for a better future. They work with some of the most iconic companies across sports, entertainment, media, new economy, technology, and beyond. On the podcast, we talk about working at a global scale and how to successfully transition a brand to an internal team. He shares the power of design systems and how empowering designers with those systems can get the best out of them. We also talk about how design won't change the world, but is a great tool for change. Enjoy. Well, with that, Simon, thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast. It's, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your your busy life to to spend. Time You're welcome, Ross. It's um, it's nice to spend time with you again. I enjoyed our uh, very short chat before, so yeah, looking forward to this. When when we did our our call, you you mentioned something that I wrote down that I really enjoyed, and you said that your job is to connect people to things that they want. Can you talk a little bit about that that statement and and what it means to you? Great, straight in with a difficult question. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose we do a number of different things for our clients, and um, we build strategies that define where the business is going. Uh, We then create identities and design systems from that and then implement them. So it's it's quite a comprehensive brand change or, uh, you know, repositioning or change program. But we're very audience-centric. So on any given day, hundreds of millions of people interact with this design systems we create. And we sit in the design and communication industry We've always believed that our job is through uh, digital experiences, design systems, products, and you know the real-world applications of that is to help people get to what they want faster. 
Uh, that might be streaming a television program. It might be connecting to a football club they love. It might be listening to a piece of music or downloading some software. But that responsibility is the thing that intrigues us because um, if you can make that those moments more delightful, more meaningful, more useful, in most instances, instances that's what people understand the brand to be rather than its logo or something else. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I find that it's interesting because you, you know, you're one of the firms that's working on that scale of of speaking to millions and millions of people, which, uh, you know, is, is both exciting <laughs> and I guess uh, probably also mildly terrifying. Um, you know, how do you, when you, you think about designing something, how do you step out of your London, you know, kind of, England sort of mentality and design something that that speaks to somebody who might be sitting in in Johannesburg or in Tokyo or in some tiny little town in rural Italy who is kind of now interacting with this design that you've created. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting and a kind of a, an eternal question really for this type of work, and I think it's a, it's a combination of different things. Um, We've worked internationally uh, my entire career, 30-year career. I've worked internationally. And as a design studio and a brand studio, Dixon Baxi's worked internationally for 21 years. So about 80% of the work we do is international. So that, in a sense, is a reservoir of knowledge that you pick up about different people, that person in Mexico City, that person in Johannesburg. Um, the other part of it is our team is very diverse. They're from lots of different parts of the, the world. So half of our team is from another country. Mm. And by having not diversity in the basic sense, but diverse mindsets and life experiences that helps you keep you open-minded. And we've always liked the idea of being citizens of the world. I'm very proud of being British and English, but I'm also European. And I like the idea of being part of the general culture of, of the world. So we've always had an outlook, outward looking view. And the key to it, I think, is listening because you can hear a lot of things. Um, one of the, the profound things now with technology is you can speak to anybody anywhere and there's, mm. there's no excuse not to. You can interact with them, you can show them things, and that's what we do. We also go to those places. So if we work with AC Milan, we go to Milan. If we work with Ule in Finland, we go to Finland. If we're working with um, Headspace in Los Angeles, we go to Los Angeles. And what you do is you get to meet the people who run the companies and they're representative of the audience, and then you can speak to the audience literally. And then the last thing I think is humans have a lot of commonality. There's obviously localized differences, but there's lots of things, the hopes and dreams, the desires, the things that we share collectively that are really interesting. And I think if there's a lot, there's a lack of celebration of difference now, but there's also a lack of understanding that we share a lot of common things and we try to tap into those to help frame what we do. Mm. I find that interesting because, you know, I guess... You know, having now worked for almost twenty-five years in the space, it's it's interesting. When we started, when I started my career, there were no digital cameras; everything was shot on film. And now there's yeah. social media and these amazing things. And now we've moved into Web three, and there's NFTs and there's digital ownership. And it feels like everything has changed, but still at the same time, I think it's all 
basically the same thing. It's still stories that people connect to, you know, and emotions that that so many people share that are actually at the core of of the work that we do. And I, I guess it's easy to get caught up in the the newest, most exciting platforms and technologies, but that underlaying sort of idea and thinking is is something that's, that's almost stood the test of, of human time. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's basically it. Which, I, like you, I, I started my first design practice in 1990, so that's 32 years ago when I first started professionally creating. Uh, the, the stuff I did before that I wore camp because it wasn't very good. But, um, <laughs> you know, the internet just bought, was born. There's no smartphones, apps, technology, all things we, 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 we use and take for granted now. And what it's meant is the world has become a smaller place. Things have been become accelerated, um, uh, share of voices facilitated or repressed. Uh, there's a different way of, I guess, connecting to people. But technology is only as useful as the meaning and reason you use it. So you can have all the technology in the world, but if you can't get the thing you want or it isn't doing what you need and it isn't connecting you or sharing something or making your life helpful or better in some way, then it's pointless. So if you're a professional creative or a commercial artist in the way I see things, our job is to use those technologies to fill them with meaning and value and usefulness and craft and design. And if you, as you say, build that narrative and that kind of story and that connectivity, then the technologies can change. But the reasons that drive it are relatively universal. And the brands who do that and the creative people who do that have very long careers or mm. long lifespans. The ones who just connect to a piece of technology and believe that is the thing that communicates to people are the ones who are a little bit more transient, potentially. Mm. I love that idea that the technology is only useful if it if it enables something, if it connects something for you. I like that because it, it's quite easy to get caught up in the latest trends and you see so many of these kind of award shows where they talk about the first time ever the first thing ever and I always sit there querying like but did we need that and did it actually do like did it did it change something and then you know the ones that were good when they start filtering into other places if it was only created once and used once so it made a really good video then it was kind of I think to your point, technology for technology's sake and not technology for, for helping people. Yeah, I mean, it's like if, you, if you're hiking in the mountains with a friend and you get to the top of a, a beautiful mountain, are you really bothered about having an NFT or uh, getting into the meta universe then? Probably not. Mm. But if you're using something like Strava to te- you know, travel your journey and use that information later to learn something, or maybe you need GPS or you want to take an amazing video and edit that, then that technology is useful. So I think it's when you use it and use, in a sense, giving the technology to people to change the experiences they want and put it into their terms, I think is what it's about. It's giving people control and access. And then sometimes you'll be very insular and recessive, other times more expressive and connected. And, you know, the job of communicators like us is to create the systems that allow that to happen. I mean, you've mentioned that word systems a few times. How do you think about building a system? You know, because I'd imagine that 
the work you're doing, you are not the only hands involved that it, it needs. Yeah. Then, you know, by the time you've done with the brand and the, the kind of look and feel and tone and strategy, I'm sure there's a myriad of people who pick up that work beyond um, what is that, you know, how does that look like for you in terms of, of thinking about it? Yeah, so I do bang on about certain words, but I apologize for that. But the reason for the system is that if you're building a brand now, it's a connected ecosystem of real world and digital experiences. And um, in a sense, you're, you're building that on the terms of the audience to access the brand in multitude different ways. And that will change with the time of day, location, situation, and whatever the person needs to do. So there's great complexity to that. So if you're not designing a system that has fix and flex, i.e. has enough lucidity and clarity and visual and creative value for people to understand what the design is, but also the flexibility to adapt and be recessive when it needs to be more supportive, when it needs to be more on, when it needs to guide or support or express something, then it's very difficult. It breaks at the point of use. Mm. But behind that, if you haven't created a strategy that is an actionable system, it's like an engine of change and habits and behaviors, then no one has a reason to believe what you're doing. And what we find is when we're building strategies, we call them experience principles. They're, it's a strategy that affects the design and the way the design and the application is used. And it's like, it's like teaching a person to fish. We, you're teaching the value of that strategy, why it's useful to the audience and then how, how it influences the design. So instead of giving guidelines, we're giving um, a recipe, in a sense, of how to use it. And the idea is they can improve it then. They can take it on and make it better. And that's what we find. Uh, we work a lot with internal teams as well as external teams with clients. And if we do our job well, everybody on behalf of the brand serves it better. Mm. I love that thought because it's also something that can can sort of scale down to a smaller brand or a smaller company it's like what, yeah. are your, what are your experience principles what are the the things that you're the emotions and feelings the 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 actions that you're trying to elicit from the human beings that you're trying to serve um you know and then it opens up for creativity where the delivery driver now has potential to add some flair to the parcel drop-off because he understands the the principles of what we're trying to get someone to feel. So if that means he's going to sing to them when he delivers the package, then he's he's perfectly on brand and it's up to him as an individual to, to do that. Yeah, I mean, at its best, it's really liberating because traditionally, brand and design was a fixed infrastructure. Mm. So you would, you would make a series of decisions, apply them, and have to keep replicating them. But, of course, the world doesn't work like that now. It's a, it's a living, breathing, growing, organic system that we're all part of. And you need to keep learning because culturally things move very quickly. And if you're not adaptive to that, you get outrun. Mm. So you have to factor some of those things in. And, and it is this idea of it's a very people-centric thing. It's obviously a trite thing to say, but it is, a, it is about thinking about how helpful you are and interesting to the people you're designing for. And, of course, they never know you're doing that, but they can feel it. They mm. can feel that somebody cared about doing that and they can connect to it and it makes them feel better. So if we're designing, for example, for football, when the actual football is on, 
our graphics should get out of the way. You know, mm. our design should not be there. But when somebody wants to get information about the game, it should get to them readily in the way they want it and in a way that makes sense to them because of that type of narrative based on that spot. Mm. And if you do that, it works really well because they, they don't know you've done it, but they can certainly enjoy the football more and they can enjoy it with their friends and they can enjoy it uh, as an experience and part of their lives as opposed to just a stream of stuff that's sent to them. Mm. I think that's an interesting interesting philosophy. Uh, I'm going to change direction a little bit. You, you, you said another thing which I, I wrote down um, before we, we, you know, when we did our pre-course that you, you believe in the power of creativity to improve things. Can, can you talk a little bit about that as a philosophy? Cause you know, quite often I get, you know, people go design will change the world. And I'm like, well, I think design in isolation is going to do nothing, but make other designers happy. Like when you say something yeah. like that, what do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, again, that is a little bit of a leg kick. Um, thinking about how design creates a better future, if I think about myself, mm. um, it improves my life. So my fulfillment, my sense of place in the world comes from being a creator and specifically now creating the space for other people to create. Mm. And when I think about the agency, the same thing applies, which is we're a work in progress and we're constantly learning about how to be better at what we do, how to be better people improve. And I think if you have that mindset, you're open to change when you realize something you're doing isn't quite good enough. So I wasn't as good at running agencies 20 years ago as I am now. And if I remained the person I was 20 years ago, it wouldn't work. When I think about um, the work itself, um, I, I, I agree with you. Design in isolation can't change the entire world, but it can create the communication system, the design systems, and the ways the world interact to help that, that, that journey. And then it comes down to a personal choice and context of which particular version of that you want to be. Some people lean one way, some people lean another. And we, we just like the idea that if you're going to make something, if you can make it really highly crafted and it will make the, the end user's use of it much easier, better, exciting, inspiring, rewarding, wonderful, powerful, and more emotive, something that actually raises the hairs on the back of your neck, Mm. then that, that optimism and positivity is something we really like. And um, if you take the world on in, in an optimistic and driven way, you can be part of the change. I would never profess to be able to solve any of the world's profound problems, but I really <laughs> don't want to get in the way of that either. Mm. No, I mean, I love that. You know, I think we're very aligned on this idea of approaching the world in a in a positive way and and open way. And I do believe graphic design when applied thoughtfully is one of the most powerful tools. I mean, that like obey, not obey poster that Obama poster from, you know, the kind yeah. of campaign is, is a singular, singular piece of design that had a profound cultural effect on the world. And then if you fast forward to the next election, a red hat with make America great on it, once again, yeah, also yeah. like a visual piece of communication, which had an equally profound, you know, effect on the world. So I think when, when these tools are applied intentionally, they have the potential to make massive 
change. I think it's because yeah, it's that's um, that's making a political statement. The hmm. same thing in, can can apply to say, for example, one of our projects. We we've been uh, working a long time with British Land, which is place making. It, it, they own a lot of uh, locations in, in the UK, and we're making place making brands. But um, when you think about responsible. Um, your urban responsibility, things like sustainability, communities, things like that. You can do a lot of things that can help focus on uh, share a voice for people in those communities, have a better footprint sustainably. So, for example, we use a font that we use less ink, we use recycled paper. So you can do lots of things on a practical level. Mm. But then if you think about the world being a very complex, difficult, negative, divisive, scary place for people... If you can just click and get to a movie quick, that will make your life a little bit easier. Or you can click a, a, a taxi and go through a really quick journey when you're on a dark street and get home faster. Those things make the world a better place as well. It's not always about the poster as a political statement. on It's mm. about the infrastructure of life. It's the basics that we all live with day in, day out. And your commute, how your family lives, what you do when you're not at work, all of those things are designed. So I think sometimes when people talk about the design of responsibility, they only talk about the political and social change part of it. Mm. But the rest of the infrastructure, the entire planet is designed, and we can help with that. Mm. I, th- I mean, uh, I guess, uh, as you were talking, what popped into my head is the difference between the sort of the London underground map and the Paris um, the Paris uh, metro map, you know, like the one is super simple and easy to sort of understand. And the other, you feel like, you know, if you don't have a PhD in advanced physics, you can't figure <laughs> out how to get from one station to the other. So, so I guess it's. Yeah. I was just in uh, New York last weekend and um, I love that. I love the design of the subway map there. It's just, it's absolutely gorgeous, beautiful. But the point of entry when you stand on the platform is really hard to follow. Mm. So it's great design, but in some parts of it, it's actually a little bit tricky. So that is the, the question. There's a balance between the subjectivity of craft and beauty and the, the amazing quality, the thing that makes you great, feel great about design, and then it's usability, and it's a constant balance, I think. And, you know, the New York map is a, a masterpiece of design, but even that is implemented correctly in certain places can actually be quite tricky for people so that's why i always talk about the system working all the way through Mm, that's i mean can you talk a bit more about that i find that an interesting like fact how do how do would someone practically get the system to work all the way through where do you see these things fall apart um in in the work you do well for an example like a really basic example um a, a brand might do loads of advertising and marketing and tell you something. And then when you go to use it, it doesn't match up. Mm. Um, or the onboarding and the, the ads and stuff, they look fantastic. And then you start using the product and it takes 20 steps to get to something. And you, you fall out the back of it and you're like, I'm confused about where it should be. And it's actually quite tricky and I don't like the style of this. And mm. the different parts of the, the lang- design language, the vernacular, don't talk to each other. So it's about the brand connecting and talking to each other, different pa- the different parts of it. And then when I'm using it, me not to feel that, to just go, oh, I can get the thing I want. So I think it's just looking for uh, sticky moments in that, that relationship with the brand. And um, if you, you know, 
for example, make a brand that's like really cheery and poppy and say, hey, we're awesome, we're on your side, we're doing these things. And then you go to it and when you start actually using it, it's really tricky to use. Mm. It's, it's a misdirection. So it's those types of things, I think. Um, and it's just a craft thing. It's just about making the, the design um, work really well in the same way you would lay out a poster and make sure you know, it works for what you want. When you're designing a design system that is quite complex for a large organization, you just want to make sure all the component parts are really beautiful. Not all of it will be perfect because nothing ever is, you know, mm. but um, the drive to find that um, thread that makes it um, satisfying and helpful and easy to use for people, I think is quite important to us. Mm. I think it's also, you know, I guess you've accidentally stumbled into the thing that sometimes the barriers of the organization or yeah. the, the the level to which the organization, the clients are willing to let designers in, uh, you know, also affect this. Because I think when you probably when you find those big disconnects, there's one team responsible for the external, you know, experience of the brand. And then there's another team or another set of teams that are responsible for each of the different kind of interactions um you know yeah. and i think it takes a brave client to to dissolve those walls a little bit and have the difficult conversations to say okay this this is how we are going to carry this idea from from a brand campaign all the way through to you know when somebody hits submit on their form or when somebody logs in or when somebody walks into the store uh, that's that's a, a, a interesting challenge. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head, really, which is um, lots of businesses are siloed because over over the years of development through organic growth, acquisition, the scaling and growth of the business, naturally um, these kind of fiefdoms are created, and and no one is really in conflict deliberately. It's just everybody has a different set of goals to achieve. Mm. So often the brand will be doing one thing and the product's doing something else and the marketing's doing something else because mm. they're all aiming behind a particular business goal, but uh, there's different drivers to those things. So I think, as you said, melting the barriers between those is really important. And, and a lot of our early work, the, the immersion, insight gathering, and early work in the strategic process with the client is listening a lot to all those different people so we hear the stresses and strains and figure out where that thread is between those relationships. And a lot of that early work is about consensus building. So playing back what they said. So everybody agrees that it's a shared endeavor. And then you start to connect the components to, together. Mm. And then you have something which is much more cohesive. And you can tell the brands that have done that and the ones that haven't, because in the real world, they either work or they don't. Mm. And it's so interesting because, I mean, 90% for me, 90% of a brand is is how people feel about it and how people feel about it is more often than not shaped by the experience that they've had and not by the design. You know, the design has a, a huge role in guiding that experience, but if the experience isn't aligned with what the visual is, it, you know, it will always outweigh great design, a uh, poor experience. Yeah, I mean, people aren't, people aren't coming to the brand for good design. They're coming for the thing they want. They either want to buy a pair of sneakers or they want to listen to some music or they want to download a piece of information or they're traveling or something. So that's, why, that's what the mind space is. 
Mm. So design's job is to facilitate that and get out of the way when it's not needed. It should be beautiful and and adds to that experience and create something that is is framing that in a really great way. But they're not coming for the design. I mean, mm. over time, the design starts to resonate. So it might be uh, visually and, and kind of um, in terms of the experience, something that resonates with them. And they go, wow, okay, I, I kind of recognize that. But you, usually an identity is an empty vessel. You have to fill it with meaning. So it's an idea more than it is a design. And that's, you know, you could change the color of, of a brand or not, but if the rest of it doesn't work, then it doesn't really matter. Mm. So you've got quite a, well, when I talk to you, you've got quite a philosophical take on all of this. And, and interestingly, you've also got a, you know, you've, there's, there's quite a significant piece of work you know, on your, your company's online presence, the, the Dixon Baxi way. Can you talk a little bit about why you took the time and the energy and the effort to sort of piece something together about how you think about design and how you think about its role design? I'm using that in quite in, with a capital D, uh, you know, and yeah, its, yeah. its role in, in all of the things that you do. Yeah, I mean, on a basic level, I feel very um, happy and privileged and, and I feel great about the fact that I can create or help people create for a living. I think there's something really amazing about being in this industry. You touched on it yourself. There is a, there's, there's just something great about being a creator, uh, and I mean that in terms of a maker. And when we think about the Dixon Back Away, it was influenced by a number of things. Um, I get contacted a lot by people, like on a daily basis, where they ask advice, they ask about folios, how to get jobs, how to start agencies. And a little while ago, I thought, there's quite a lot of, our industry is very closed. Mm. Not that it's necessarily secretive, but there's like a veneer over it, where you can't, or a veil over it, where you can't see in to what it's actually like to be inside studios like ours. Um, and you have to move around before you learn. And I, I didn't like that opacity. So, and that kind of coincided with some of the shifts that needed to be made in the industry where there was, there was too many men, uh, too many white dudes. You know, it felt like it was a bit of a closed shop. Um, and it, to a certain extent, accelerated by COVID as well, a little bit later in that. So we just felt it would be nice to be a bit more honest and open source and share some of the things we've learned and not worry that you're giving away the magic sauce or recipe. And if it helps somebody who was starting an agency or, or was thinking about the next phase of what they were doing with their career or maybe entering a phase of the, an area of the industry they didn't know about, I think it could be helpful. And there's an awful lot of bullshit in our industry. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of crap that's said about what you should and shouldn't do. Mm. And the truth is you can work the way you want to. And we just wanted to show you our way of working as a, as a kind of sense that it's okay to be who you are. And it's taken mm. us a long term time to learn how to be what we are. So we just decided to be open source. We're actually doing the second season at the moment. And it's the team talking about the work. So there's about 20 of the team talking about how they work and things. And it's just fasc fascinating to hear their journeys and, and where things are. And hopefully it goes back to that optimism thing of if we can share something that's positive, good and bad, and show people that work. You know, an agency like you always has foibles and makes mistakes and isn't perfect, then maybe it might inspire them to push their journey a little bit further. And that was the thinking, really. Mm. I think it's it's 
kind of very generous to do. You know, obviously, you know, I'd risk for Bax and Dixie to um, stick up. Uh, you know, you've got your your competitor in Ireland who's set up in the European Union doing similar work to you with the same ethos. But I mean, that aside, you know, I find it interesting that you share this this ethos. What is what is some of, like what were the unexpected consequences of releasing the 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 Dixon Baxi way? Um, there's a number of them. The first is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it makes us better as humans and better as creators, I think. Because the more we express, there's a catharsis into that. And by doing so, we start to stick together and believe in the things we think have the most meaning. Mm. and not do the things we don't. Um, I think it makes us feel more positive, more optimistic about the world. Uh, it makes us feel like we uh, can talk to more people. So one of the outcomes for me is just I've, I've got a far greater range of connections than I, I ever have done. In all parts of like all over Africa, South America, Asia, and not just the hotspots of New York, LA, and London, people from all different walks of life, experiences, and what that means is I'm learning more about the world now and how our industry works and how we could potentially uh, help people through that. And it also has become a self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of the people who work in the studio. Many of them have come through our intern program and have been with us for a while. But as we grow and um, add people and change, we're, we're more like-minded. We're very different, actually. We're quite diverse as a company, but there's a sense of shared endeavor from that. And when you're sharing something that you all believe in, even though you're independently doing it your own way, the teamwork feels more natural. It doesn't, you know, I don't like leading from the, I don't like leading down. I like yeah. leading up. My yeah. job is to lift people, not to pull them or push them or prod them. Yeah. So that's been a good consequence of it. It's allowed me to be smaller. That's a, a very interesting, you know, thoughts. You're, your clients, have you had any kind of feedback from the people you work from, work for, uh, in, in terms of that? Because, you know, I also find that when you share this stuff, there's a deeper understanding of the value that you create as a company on the client side. They're like, oh, I didn't know it was that complicated. You know, it always just seems yeah, yeah. effortless. We give you a brief, uh, we argue about the budget, and then we see some, you know, like, and then suddenly there's this pretty thing, um, you know, but we don't know yeah, about all the, the things that happen yeah. behind it. That, I mean, that is the truth. You, you've touched on an actually very insightful point, that really, that um, we've always tried to curate our relationships with clients because we, we don't believe we're a good fit for everything. We, we don't profess to be. I think we're good at some things and not so good at other things. So we've always carved a space where we try to work with people who are like-minded. And the more we've expressed how we think, the more we've expressed the way of working and the things that drive our work, not the work itself, uh, the closer relationships we've had with clients because you, you find like minds in chemistry. Again, they're all completely different people. They're in Finland and uh, Germany and Holland and, 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 and Sydney and Los Angeles. They're all over the place and they're all from different parts of the world and, and different backgrounds and things. Hmm. But you do start to find those commonalities of a shared ambition and, and going somewhere on a journey in terms of the work you make. And by being more explicit about what drives what we do, we don't have to sell a certain style. We don't have to sell a certain process and sell a certain 
the, the kind of furniture and bullshit of our industry, we'd have to do that. We do all of those things well, of course. We do have a system and we, we can design at scale and just in case any clients might be listening, we are <laughs> quite good at what we do. But it, it's like why we do it, I think, is potentially more interesting to clients than what we do because at our level, there's lots of agencies who are awesome. And, I, I, you know, there's tons of brilliant agencies in the world. And I, I wouldn't fancy the idea of picking one. You know, um, I love Accept and Proceed as much as Collins, as much as... Uh, Stockholm Lab or whoever, they're all amazing companies. I could name hundreds. Um, but what I like about those companies is the, the way they carry themselves as well as the quality of their work. And, and I think that's what's interesting. Mm. I think it also it comes back to a little bit of where we started this conversation is that the human truth is that, you know, people have these commonalities, but they also have these differences. And I think there's mm -hmm. this way of thinking about the world that clients are all the same but they're not you know some uh, clients like certain things and they tend in certain directions and that might not be in the direction of your company so i think the more clear you are at communicating who you are and what's important to you the more likely you are to find clients that align with that and therefore your working relationship has the better i'm not saying it's always going to work but it's a better possibility of it working if you if you sort of believe the same things i think that's a super smart point i think definitely because if you if you hunt logos you, you say i've got to work with this brand they might be tortuous to work with they might be <laughs> awful to work with. yes but if you if you go well this space these types of brands this brand's exciting but then i've spoken to this person who i'm going to learn something from they're going, to, they're going to inspire me. Uh, I was just on a call before this call with a prospective client. They're in a really interesting space. And I, and I was listening to them thinking, wow, if we were lucky enough to get this gig, we would learn a lot from this. We'd bring a lot to it, obviously. And I'd hope they think that reciprocally. And I think if you get that, you just get better work. There's no question that everybody talks about collaboration, all these various things. But you can only get great collaboration if you have a, a connection um, on a kind of uh, creative level. You don't have to be best friends with them. And of course, you are, is a service industry, so you are supporting their, 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 their business plans. And again, you don't have to work with everybody because there's certain brands you might not want to for lots of different reasons. And we're careful about those choices because it, the, the better we are, it's like that thing of like, you're only as good as your last job. Mm. And it's the work that's important to us. We would rather do fewer projects a year and do them really well than just do everything. That's an interesting, interesting thought. I mean, we we had a, a conversation a little bit around this idea of, you know, how we are as as brand builders, we are part of this idea of global consumption and communication of ideas. And I think you've talked a little mm -hmm. bit about selecting the right clients. Can you, can you share your thoughts on kind of the role or the responsibility that kind of brands and designers of brands have in this kind of global world that we live in and, and supporting these, these things and choosing the right clients? Yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating space. I think it's a, it's a, there's a duality to it because I think there's, um, there's both a personal and a professional part to it because we're all complicit in the world. And mm -hmm. I think what happens is based on our life experience, what we do, 
and the way we see the world, we shine a light on the things that we think are the most important. And of course, it, it, everybody sees the world slightly differently. So I'm very, I'm always very cautious about projecting too explicitly what I think because everybody thinks slightly differently. Mm. My feeling is that doing the right thing, adding value, being respectful, not fucking the world up should be table stakes. And you have to balance that against what you'd like to achieve in life. Mm. So I can't imagine a world I never want to travel again because I want to see the world before I die. Mm. So I have to balance that against other life decisions like not having a car. So you, you kind of, you know, you make those types of decisions. So it might be another type of decision. When you think about it professionally, there's certain industries and types of businesses and ways of working that we just wouldn't do for that, for that reason. And that could be a political, a social, a, a environmental, a, you know, a health you know, reason. Um, but then the work we're doing, um, we're not selling anything. We're creating the systems for people to connect to things that are already out there and have choices. And I think you need to bring meaning, value, and benefit to them in order to have a place at the table that's useful because mm. people like new trainers, people like to watch telly, and they like to go to football. They like to fly and see friends. They like to use Instagram. People like to do things, and we're all part of a collective ecosystem. So we just believe if you try and hardwire those things into the into the business, i.e. being a good business, and then do the thing you do really well for people, then you can balance that that relationship. Um, yeah. And then, and, and like I said, as people, as a studio, we try and... Um, do good, you know, just be a good company. But I know for a fact that we're not perfect and I know nobody is on the planet. And it comes down to that degree of subjectivity and personal commitment to the things you believe are the right things to do. And that's, yeah. that's how I view it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an interesting debate. You know, I've, I've spoken to many people on this podcast. One of them was Bruce Mao, and he took on coca-cola as a client and the work that he did with coca-cola actually started their journey in talking about sustainability whether they've achieved that or not is a whole nother debate but i guess it's if he didn't start that work they might never have had that conversation but that, but that, exactly so that's it i mean bruce is a legendary um an awesome person uh, in many many different ways um, mm. just as a human but he is making a value judgment there. Many mm. people would choose not to do that because you could see that as um, you could see the other side of that, let's say. Mm. So, and you can retrofit any story to any relationship. And I think you make that judgment. And if you are a pebble in someone's shoe or a little bit of wind that drifts something sideways and that suddenly becomes a cyclone, then that's amazing. That 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 can be the case. And I think that's the value decisions you're making. I think if you if you stand up and say, you can't do this, you can't do that, you should do this, you should do that, you have to do this, you have to do that, and then do things that are counter to that privately or, or uh, hidden, then you have to call bullshit on that. So I think you just have to stand up and say, I believe this, I believe this, I'm going to carry myself this way based on what I've learned about life and the way I carry my values, and I want to do the right thing, but I'm also willing to learn and listen and be part of the change. Mm. And I guess, you know, interestingly, the conversation we always try to have with our clients is is around, you know, kind of building up equity with your, your target market or the people that you speak to that so that when you make a mistake, and you will, 
you know, as long as you own that mistake and you you honest about it, people have given you a bit of leeway, you know, instead of kind of just crucifying you on the altar of of social media, uh, you know, until the next sort of big company makes a mistake and gets and gets publicly yeah, I mean, destroyed. Everyone's everyone's amped and heightened, aren't they, to to slam everybody now? And and I think you know it's very difficult because it's the whole people in glass houses thing. I've watched mm. many, many people, savage people on the internet. I know and I know those the people who are doing the savaging and I know how they work in their lives. And you know, it's a very difficult thing. And I think we've got to a point now where people humans are humans, people make mistakes, and more mm. fundamentally, people change. Like the 19-year-old me was completely different to the 31-year-old, to the 53-year-old person. I've mm. learned profound things in my life, and I'm sure every human has done. And um, I don't act the way I did when I was 19, uh, but I will act when I'm 73 the way I do when I'm 53. Mm. And I think you have to have a degree of understanding and put yourself in other people's shoes and that empathy for them, that not everybody's trying to fuck the world up or trying to fuck you over or stick an eye in people. Some people have just made a mistake. Mm. And I mean, if they make the same mistake several times, then clearly they're bad people. Mm. But you know, it's, you've got to allow a little bit of understanding that the human condition isn't a smooth, even black and white thing. There are certain people like we're talking about the Trump caps and stuff like that. You know, Trump is evil. You know, I don't mind saying that. And I'm doing that based on a set of different bits of evidence, but I didn't need much evidence to think that. You know, but then when you get to a different, you know, you and I, I'm sure there's things in my my cupboard and in your cupboard that you would be like, oh, wow, I wish I hadn't done that in life. But I don't think you're a bad man. I think you're a good man. And I think you're a man who would learn from whatever you did and you would keep trying to be a good man and making the world a better place. And that's how I see that debate. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is a fascinating thing. And I guess why I'm having the conversation with you is I think it's important for the people who are crafting and creating these brands to also think about that, you know, and try and get their clients to think about it because yeah. it's a super, super important debate or, or you know, I don't, I don't know. I if mean, it's, it's very, it's a super common conversation. Like yeah. in all the work we do, we're having conversations about all parts of life and all parts of, of the world and where we can make a difference, we will try to do so. Because if you're working at a strategic level, you can help that. You can improve the culture of a company, how they acquire talent, the way they work with other companies, the, work, the way they deal with the world, the way they express themselves. But you can't, you don't run the company, so you're yes. making a value judgment to work with that company in the way mm. you described with Bruce. So he's picked a particular angle of attack and fair play to him for that. Um, mm. So that's how you have to judge it, I think. And like I say, not... The problem at the moment is everybody sees everything in the world instantly connected and, and everyone tries to think about everything on the same volume all, all the time and it's very difficult to do that. You have mm. to some, somehow calibrate it down to things you can control mm. and try and do that in the right way and then try and express to other people without dictating those things because I think you only have so much life experience. Like I travel to China a lot with work and there's lots of parts of China that are quite difficult to deal with, but there's some profoundly amazing parts of it, culturally, socially, and, and just intellectually. And if, if I don't learn from that part of it, I'm just missing something that is really um, 
the opposite of what we are, but also there's lots of similarities. And when I think about my culture, UK, for example, it's deeply flawed on lots of different levels, but it doesn't mean it's lost or broken. It mm. just means that it's a work in progress and it has been for centuries. And it'll continue to be. Well, Simon, well, it, it, needs, it needs to work at the moment, to be fair. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little bit rough here at the minute. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Let's. Um, let me ask you one more question. Um, you positioned, you're working on these global brands. Um, you're working on these things that are touching millions of people. What is the thing that really excites you that you sort of see coming? Something that, that fills you with, with joy that um, is coming our way? Well, that is a, that's a tricky question to end on, isn't it? Um, I suppose if we, if we just go back to um, the bigger topics that we're talking about, yeah. generationally, I see um, a change in people. I see the, the people in our studio who are 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, and their duty of care for each other, the world, and the way they work, I find really inspiring. And it gives me great hope and optimism that generationally, we will continue to improve. Mm -hmm. uh, so... That part of it, I think, is the most interesting thing. I think design, styles, technologies, they'll come and go. But the way that people work and the way that that duty of care is more hardwired into the world, good and bad, I think is, is I find really fascinating and inspiring. Wow. That's a super cool thought to, to end on. Um, Simon, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for the work that you've created of your career. And thank you so much for being generous with how you think about and how you approach the world at large. Yeah, thanks, Ross. It was a um, really lovely chat and one of the more interesting ones I've had for a while. So kudos to you for uh, the way you frame the conversations and your body of work. Right. Thank you very much. And we'll catch all of you in the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. We believe sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who's building a brand or needs some inspiration for their brand, please share this with them. This is our fourth season and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first to know when a new episode is released. Even better, leave a review and tell the world how much you enjoyed listening. One more question is brought to you by the people of Nice Work. We're on a mission to build purposeful Web3 brands that people care about. We're based in South Africa and serve the leaders of brave companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, work with us or make a suggestion, please reach out at www.nicework.co.za. Bye-bye.